0: drop on the 1 from what? Uh, verse 16 up to 225 16 I apologise for any pronunciation pronunciation yeah alright <laughs> 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 right. so Pronunciating yeah so don't be misled my dear brothers and sisters whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the uh, righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, yeah. the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And then where to in... Where to in... Up to 225.
1: Up to 225.
0: My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in a glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favour some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes... Into your meeting, dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, You can stand over there, or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? but you dishonour the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbour as yourself. But if you favour some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said, you must not commit murder. So if you murder someone, but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say, or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, right? How good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works."
1: Good work thank you for reading that. I remember as a high schooler telling my friend Karim, uh, go to this slide yep that Christianity wasn't about rules and regulations. The Bible wasn't a book of rules for life, I told him. And in fact, I've heard lots of Christians say similar things. and actually it's true. The key message of Christianity isn't one of strict rules and regulations and laws that need to be followed to the letter. That's a belief that does occasionally creep into Christian circles, especially Christians from really, really conservative denominations or even Christian origin sects and cults. I've seen documentaries and read articles about various sects, like, for example, the Closed Brethren, or like the Cooperites that you can see in the photograph on the screen here. And this is sort of how the story usually goes. There's usually a teenager or a young adult who doesn't want to follow a particular rule of that sect. Say, for example, she wants to go dancing. Or he goes off to a party and takes drugs and gets found out about it. And then a meeting of the leaders get called. And they decide that because of the grave sin that's been committed, that teenager, and sometimes his or her family are clearly not faithful. They're heathens, and they need to be expelled from that faith community. Now that's, that's a terrible response, isn't it? Because someone breaks a rule, he can't be part of a faith community. Because faith's all about rules and regulations. That's an awful approach to faith. And I hope we can all see that. Because we're actually blessed enough here and in the church in Australia in general, to have been taught that faith, that our faith is about having a living relationship with our God, with the living God. We know the stories that Jesus told, stories like the prodigal son, the wayward child who isn't rejected by his father. We've read beautiful passages like Romans 8 that say it, say it all. I'm convinced that nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So we don't want to fall into that trap of legalism, the belief that says Christianity is all about a set of rules that need to be followed. And in fact, as Christians, we should cling to that understanding of our faith, that our faith is about a relationship. It's not about a set of rules. It's about being part of God's family, his adopted child. We can cling to words like those in Romans 3, which says... Strangely enough, in apparent contradiction of James 2, a person is justified by faith, not by works of the law. And so I find myself, like many other Christians, saying things like, the Bible isn't a book about rules. Christianity is not a faith about regulations. And that's true. And it's important to understand that. And yet, that same true thinking can actually lead us astray. When I say that Christianity isn't about rules and that we're not loved by God, we're not rescued by Him because of our obedience to certain rules, when I say that, it's actually possible for me to start thinking that rules of life and faith aren't important. I had a reasonably close friend at a previous church a long time ago. He was a strong believer in the idea that Christianity is not about rules, that we're loved By God, regardless of what we do. He talked a lot about listening to the Holy Spirit in his life and that what mattered to him was faith in his heart. One day we were going for a walk and he casually mentioned that he would regularly visit a brothel. I was very surprised by that. A few weeks later, my friend again went for a walk with me and this time he was really upset. He had spoken to the senior pastor of the church earlier that day and asked him if he could start a Saturday night regular worship music service. And the senior pastor had denied his request because of his regular visits to prostitutes. My friend was really angry about this. He couldn't understand it. He told me that his faith was strong. He was saved by faith, not by works. That we're all equal in the eyes of God. So there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to lead a Saturday night worship service he felt Christianity wasn't about rules, to him rules weren't important anyway time passed and I moved to another church and not, not because of anything to do with that, just because I took up a position as a, as a pastor at another church and then one day I bumped into a different friend from that previous church and I heard the very sad news that he had separated from his wife and it turned out that his wife had had an affair with that other friend who would visit prostitutes. Who we are is more than what's in our hearts. Our Christianity is more than what we believe. What we do matters. Our actions have consequences. When we talk about Christianity not being about rules and regulations, if we're not careful... We can start to believe that rules of life and moral decisions we make aren't important. We start to think that all that matters is what's in the heart. And that's really, really dangerous. Because it leads to situations where we stop caring about sin. We stop caring about evil because we think we're saved by faith anyway, so why should we worry about little things like how we act or what we do? And this is why the words that James wrote are so important for us to stop and take note of. That's why it's so crucial that we see his words about deeds in passages like those in chapter 1 verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise you're only fooling yourself. And likewise in verses 26 to 27. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. Your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And then again in chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who's got no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good is that? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Faith without works is dead. That's a cold, hard truth of Christianity. And it's complex and mysterious, We know that God's forgiveness of us isn't depending on us earning and deserving that forgiveness. We don't receive the prize of eternal life because we're good. That's why Paul could write in Romans that we are saved by faith, not by works. And yet, we know that without good works, our faith is dead. To have faith in Jesus means to trust Him. And when we trust someone... We listen to what they say. We take action because of it. There's got to be a connection between faith and action. The actual word for faith in Greek is pistis. And pistis can just as easily be translated as faithful or trustworthy. And in fact, in many parts of the New Testament, it is translated as either faithful or trustworthy. And when thought about in that way, the connection between faith and action becomes clear. Because how can someone be faithful to Jesus if they don't obey him? How can someone be a trustworthy follower of Jesus if they don't do what he says? (coughs) There's this unbreakable intertwined link between faith and deeds, faith and works. As James wrote in chapter 2 verse 14, Can the kind of faith, that is the faith that that doesn't show good works of love, can that kind of faith save anyone? When we decide that our deeds don't matter, that shows something about our faith. Actions and beliefs are linked in such a close way that our actions actually affect our beliefs. That's an unexpected truth. Our actions actually influence our faith, and not just one way, but it's the other way around too. It's just part of being a human. For example, when we lie, our thoughts try to justify the lie. Then we start this slow process of how we understand lying. We start to change how we think about lying. And we eventually get to the point where we believe lying is okay. It's the same for jealousy or envy or gossip or hatred. We start to believe any virtue or vice that we practice. Over time, that vice starts to affect what we believe. It's really strange. Beliefs change actions. And actions change belief. And so if we decide that how we live doesn't matter, our faith takes that same journey. And it won't survive. If our faith can't survive, then we can't bear good fruit. It's all connected and circular. It's a chicken and egg scenario. (laughs) Jesus spoke about this too. James James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, probably actually heard Jesus talk about it. Jesus spoke about how a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. In other words, what's in our heart, what's in our core, that defines our actions. Another time Jesus said, It's what comes from inside you that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality. Theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. Matthew over there loves apples. (laughs) Thank you, Matthew. You would not believe how many apple cores I find in his room on a daily basis. We're not talking just one apple core, are we? In fact, I bet if I walked up there right now, I'd find an apple core under the bed, on the windowsill, in a desk drawer... Wouldn't I? But Matthew's always loved apples. Even when he was a toddler, he he loved them. But he had trouble eating them back then. So I used to cut them up into small pieces. You probably don't remember, Matthew. Do it frequently. (laughs) One day, you grabbed a beautiful apple. Really lovely looking apple. And this is uh, from the same bag, this picture of that apple. It looked lovely. And then I cut into it and found out it wasn't so lovely. I have no idea what makes an apple core like that rotten in the centre, but this is clearly not a good apple, is it? It looks to me, though, like whatever was causing that apple to be rotten started right in the very centre and was slowly spreading out. And eventually, I reckon that rottenness, if it hadn't been cut up that day, was going to reach the skin, the surface of that apple, and be visible. And the apple's a good analogy for what people are like, what they're like at our core. It is possible for a time for a person to look beautiful on the outside even though his inside is rotten. But if I don't clean up my inside, if it's rotten, even though it's not noticeable at first, if I don't clean it up and I allow the evil thoughts of my heart to grow, the desires to grow and take hold in my heart, eventually these thoughts are going to reach the surface. They'll become all pervasive in me. And eventually, my actions will be influenced by those thoughts. My outward appearance cannot remain beautiful indefinitely if the inward appearance is ugly. James wrote that human anger does not produce righteousness. Mm. And I don't reckon that's the slide that's meant to be there. Well, that's where it's there. <laughs> Never mind. Do you want to go forward a few more? No, one more. I no, just go back. <laughs> don't worry about changing slides for a while. <laughs> go back one more. Why? Just stick on that one. <laughs> but what would you rather look at, Abraham or a rotten apple? <laughs> Actually, go to Abraham. People don't look at that for the like next ten minutes or five minutes. <laughs> Okay, you have to imagine that there's going to be Bible verses there. And since they're not there, you're going to have to listen more carefully. So James wrote that human anger does not produce righteousness. He called us to get rid of all filth and evil in our lives. And then, again, he wrote, not just to listen to God's word, but to actually do what it says. James knew that our hearts and our actions are have this unbreakable link. He knew that faith without works is dead. Where there are no works, there's actually no real faith. The early Christians who James was writing to appeared to forget this. They forgot about this connection between faith and works. And actually the same can be true for us. It certainly is for me. I tend to forget about this unbreakable link. But I've only got to look at the faithful followers of the Lord in the Bible to be reminded Remember the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. Abraham trusted God. And we can be absolutely sure of his trust. Because when God called Abraham to do what must have been the hardest possible thing imaginable. To sacrifice his own son. Abraham was willing to obey. Abraham bound his son and got ready to strike. But just before he struck, God urgently called out to him to stop because of course God never wanted evil for Abraham or Isaac, he didn't want Isaac to be killed what God did want though was for us today to know that true faith is accompanied by obedience he wanted us to see that a person of faith will trust God enough to do whatever God called him to do it was the same for Rahab. Remember her story? So, she was a pagan prostitute in the city of Jericho. But she had faith in God. She trusted God when he called her to hide two Israelite spies from the town's soldiers. Again, her faith led her to make some concrete decisions of obedience. We can so easily think of actions and deeds as being disconnected from what's in our hearts and minds. But they're not disconnected. What's in your heart is what defines your actions. So while it's true that faith is a matter of the heart, it's also true that faith leads to deeds. We can't forget this truth. So We've got to watch ourselves. Not judge other people, but we've got to watch ourselves, look at ourselves. Each one of us needs to seriously consider how we act, how we treat others. So I want you just to think back over your week. This is probably hard for some people. But take the time and think back over your week. Did you get angry at another person? Did you yell, scream, or insult? Did you gossip? Did you talk about another person behind his or her back? Did you lie? Did you hide a truth that you shouldn't have hidden? Did you steal? Did you take something without paying for it? You could have sung worship songs today. You could have said wonderful prayers. You could have spoken wise words to another person. And these are all all good things. But in reality, your faith isn't evidenced by those things. The evidence of your faith is in the form of questions I just asked. Take a moment to consider. Don't judge anyone else. We're not meant to judge others. But we are meant to watch ourselves. We're meant to be honest with ourselves. If you're like me, you're probably thinking right now that your faith isn't actually as strong as you'd like. I know that when I think about my conduct this week, I realize that my faith is weak. I'm ashamed of that. But I don't need to despair either, and neither do you. Remember the story of the thief on the cross. Here was a man who stole and killed. He hung next to Jesus, and the life of them both slowly faded away. If ever there was a man whose actions were evil, it was that thief. And yet with his dying breath, he looked up to Jesus and he called on him. He begged him for forgiveness. Jesus forgave. Today you'll be with me in paradise, he said. We've got a merciful God. He knows our failings and he loves us anyway. And so although our deeds show what our faith is like, even so, we don't need to despair because God will show mercy. That's why James wrote, If you have been merciful, God will be merciful to you. God knows I'm going to continually fail in my life and he forgives me. But I can never take that forgiveness for granted. I never want to take the cross for granted. We all need to be encouraged to trust in God's forgiveness but also to be reminded to trust his call in our life. Trust him when he tells us the way of life and how we should be living. And as we trust him and obey him our faith's actually going to be strengthened. And in turn, our actions will become more beautiful and more pure. And we'll see our lives and our hearts transforming. And there's nothing more beautiful than a transformed life. There's nothing more precious than that. Please join me in prayer. And in fact, Steve, can I ask you to pray for us all?
2: My dear God, we thank you for your love and your goodness. We thank you for your care for us, though we don't deserve your mercy. Uh, You've been so kind to save us, and not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of who Christ is. Thank you for crediting, for saving us through Christ, Lord. And Lord, let us be people who delight in doing good works that celebrate the change of heart you've brought about in us. God, let us delight to be your good people, truly good, because your Spirit is working in us to make us able to love people not from our own strength, but from your infinite resources, Lord. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. Thank you for letting us have a part to play through our actions, through our choices, in drawing others to you, Lord, in sharing your goodness and your love. Lord, let us not overlook this or or mitigate it with flippant or silly uh, theology uh, that minimizes the tremendous work you've given us and the, the role you've given us to play in the world. Let us delight in ushering others into your presence as we're enabled by, by the work of your Spirit in our lives. God, I pray that each day the members of our church would take time to be with you and to be transformed by you, to be able to sit with you and enjoy you, and on that basis uh, of, of time spent with you, time uh, where we're renewed by you, on the basis of, of what your Holy Spirit does in our, in our hearts. While we're with you, we can bless others. Not because we need to do have good works to, to stay in the church or to prove that we're really Christians, but because we love you. Let us love others. We pray all these things, God, in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.